It's uh, such an honor and a privilege to be with you again and among so many friends this morning. And uh, as Jerry said, I'm the India Director for Equipping Leaders International. All that means is that I was the first staff person to go to India. So right away, I became the director. A few years ago, I went to Nepal on a trip, and I told the director that I think that meant I was now the Asia Director. And uh, so it was a promotion. I didn't get any more money, of course. I just got a better title. No, I'm the India Director, and uh, the reality is, is I'm here to talk to you about the gospel this morning as it's related to missions. God has chosen that the gospel would go forward through the foolishness of preaching and prayer. And so we covet your prayers, especially because that's how the work really gets done. As you exit today through one of the four exits, you'll see our prayer card out there. We would love for you to pick that up and put it on your refrigerator and remember to pray for us. You can also sign up for a monthly uh, online prayer letter that we'll send you by email. Those sign-ups are out there as well. And we're going to begin by reading the word um, from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, why don't you stand with me as we read God's Word? Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So Paul tells Timothy to think through this, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to think through what's here. Paul has written this letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy. He's in, uh, Paul is in prison in Rome. It's his second time to be in prison in Rome, and it's going to be his last time. He's going to be executed at some point, and he knows he's coming to the end of days and the end of ministry, and so he's giving final instructions to Timothy for how to make sure that Timothy stays focused on the gospel and on gospel expansion. And, and he's concerned about two distractions. There are always these same two distractions to gospel expansion. And the first is the gospel gets watered down by moving the focus off of the work of Christ onto our work or something else besides conversion growth. Or we get distraction by hardships. Gospel expansion is often difficult work. There's opposition everywhere, opposition internally, opposition sometimes in the church due to status quo and opposition from the world. And so Paul wants to make sure that Timothy is not distracted by these things. And so in our passage, he writes to Timothy and gives him three imperatives three directives, you could say, and then follows them with three illustrations to help us understand what he means. And so we're going to look at those three directives as they relate to missions in general, and then we're going to look at them, how they relate to covenant's call to mission specifically. And so I have a theme for you this morning that ties the sermon together. It, it says this, multiplying grace Multiplying grace comes through enduring soldiers 
who depend on Christ. And so from that, I have three points for you this morning. All good sermons have three points, so of course this one does. And so the first thing that I want to share with you this morning is gospel strength. Gospel strength. Now, Paul tells uh, Timothy to be strengthened by grace. Now, that's just really a weird thing to tell somebody. It's uh, the grammarians, the English teachers would tell us it's a passive imperative. In other words, Paul has given Timothy a command, but it's a passive command. It's something he's not able to do. It's like getting a get well card. I don't know if you know that, but a get well card is imperative. It's a command, get well. Often it says get well soon, but it's a, it's a directive that you don't have the power to do. It's more of a well wish. Well, what we would expect Paul to say here is, is get strong. That would be the proper imperative. Get strong, go to the weight room, work out, run, walk, get fit, get in shape so that you can do the gospel ministry. Well, see, the problem there is, is if he said get strong, it would depend on Timothy. And the work of the, of the ministry would be Timothy dependent. But you see, the gospel depends on Christ, his work, his power. So Paul says, be strengthened in the, in the grace of God. So being strengthened is what you do with your phone or your tablet. You, you get plugged in. You'll notice that there's not much power in those things, if any power at all. The power is on the outside. It's somewhere else. And in this case, the power that Paul's talking about is the power of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You see, the gospel doesn't give power. The gospel is the power of God. If the gospel gave us power, then what we would do is we would latch on and then we would be empowered to live independently from God and from one another. But you see, the gospel is power. And the only way to have that power, experience that power, is dependence on Christ. You see, the, the gospel is based on the work that Christ does. That, that's why it's called the gospel of grace. God's favor is unearned. You can't earn it through good works. It's undeserved. You can't be good enough to get it. The favor of God comes by grace and mercy, and it comes as a result of Jesus' perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. So it's like he goes to the weight room. Wouldn't you like to have somebody join the gym for you and, and go and do your daily workouts for you? And meanwhile, you look in the mirror and you just get stronger and stronger and thinner and thinner. You look all the better all the time and someone else has done the work. Well, that would be vicarious atonement, not vicarious atonement, but vicarious atonement. And so that's what Christ does for us. He steps into our place. He lives a perfect life. He dies a death for our sins so that God has provided a righteous and merciful way to forgive us our sins. And then he rises from the dead so that we can be justified and acceptable in heavenly places. And so that's why the gospel again and again says that it's in weakness that we are made strong. So that's why early in the ministry in India with ELI, we first teach a Christ-centered 
marriage, and then we teach the book of Timothy, Christ-centered leadership, and then we go to the book of Romans so that we can clarify and teach and show the remarkable grace of God. And so they can begin to understand that the righteousness that God requires is the righteousness that God provides. It's, it's amazing, really. And so it's the gospel of grace that's making such a difference in India. Over 100,000 people are being saved all over the world every day. That's three, over 3 million a month, 40 million a year, and 20% of it is happening in India. And the reason the gospel is expanding in India is because the Dalits, the poor, the lower caste are coming to faith because the gospel of grace is changing their hearts and changing their lives. And after we train the village pastors in marriage and Timothy and Romans and begin to teach them Bible survey and other things, we see multiplying grace in the villages and in their churches. I remember driving up into the mountains a few years ago to visit Pastor Andrew. His, he had uh, been in the ministry for 20 years, and, at, and uh, after 20 years, he was starving. His family could barely eat, and the church, after 20 years, had 20 people in it. And so then he joined our partner, VJ, in Christ Gospel Ministries and began to get trained. And now two years later, his church was bursting at the seams with 100 on Sunday. And they were looking for a way to expand the building. Not only that, they had planted five daughter churches in two years in the nearby villages. He was walking over two mountains to go to a village and preach the gospel where there was no road to go in there. And and he was now training 10 fellow pastors in the gospel. Then there's a, a friend of mine, his name is Pastor Dillip. He's in Orissa State. And he's a dental hygienist. He's bivocational, as most of our pastors were, are. And uh, he... Uh, before he joined the network of training, he had a house church of 20 along with his uh, hygienist business. And then after he got gospel training, he, his, 20, his one church of 20 turned into three churches of 50 house churches. And now he trains 20 other pastors in the gospel. And then there's Pastor David. Pastor David has been in ministry for 20 years. He's in a village of 400 and 300 of the village are members of his church. Imagine such a thing, 75% of the village. And so a couple of years ago, he and his elders, as they were reading the scriptures and taking everything literally, they decided that they were going to start doing Levitical sacrifices as part of their worship. And then he came to our Bible survey course, and on the fourth day as we were teaching through the book of Hebrews, he found out that the sacrifices are fulfilled in Christ, and Christ is the final word and the final sacrifice for our sins, and that they don't need to make animal sacrifices, they need to rest in the work of Christ. Now, why does training make such a difference? Well, it's because it's gospel-focused and, and Christ-centered. You see, legalistic and moralistic versions of Christianity with our self-righteous rules and, and our man-centered morality, well, they have no power to change you or to bring about conversion or to multiply grace. And, there, and it's really no different than man-centered Hinduism. So people don't convert to that. What changes people is grace and the work and the power of the gospel. 
You see, because grace reveals that God forgives you because he is merciful, because he sent his son to pay for our sins. You know, the God of heaven and earth doesn't have regard for, for beauty or brawn or brains. He doesn't love you more if you're good or if you have money or if you're from the right tribe. He, he doesn't have regard for particular castes or, or nations or political parties. And he doesn't really care what your church background is. He loves you because he loves you. You see, the gospel is for the last and the lost and the least and the little and the dead. He doesn't even love a church with big multiplying vision more than a church with small vision. He loves you because he loves you, because he himself is love. It's very, very good. And so our theme this morning is that multiplying grace comes through enduring soldiers who depend on Christ, who depend on the gospel of grace, the good news of forgiveness that's found only in Jesus. So that's gospel strength. Now I want to show you gospel multiplication. Paul says, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he wants Timothy not only to be gospel-centered, grace-oriented, but he wants to see that, that gospel of grace multiply and expand through the nations through training and discipleship. So I have a chart for you this morning that you can see just to give you a visual that'll help you see that. So First there's Paul, then there's Timothy, then there's the faithful men and women, and then there is others. And so at Equipping Leaders, we have imitated this model. So our, our ELI staff, we're a non-residential mission agency. We believe that the nationals ought to do the ministry. And so we, we live around the U.S. I, we could live anywhere in the world and do this ministry. And so then we partner with key le- leaders who speak English, who have some training already, and who, are, uh, who, who have integrity. And the key thing is, is that they're already training leaders, And so then what we do is we resource them somewhat financially. We pay for all the training we do, and then we give them resources to train their trainers. And so we multiply. We work with their top-level people, and then those people train the church planters and the pastors. So uh, I just wanted to show you what's happening with a few of our partners as a result of your partnership with us in India. Our, our first partner in India was uh, Christ Gospel Ministries. It's, you can put up the next slide. It's now called the Council of Reformed Churches of India. And, and this is one of your partners. When we first began working with Vijay Raju in 2007, he was training 45 men, 45 village churches. And so a team of our people went to, to help with that training. We trained 300 men in two weeks. We did a 150 in a marriage conference, and then the next week we did 150 in a conference in 1 Timothy. And so they were overwhelmed with the goodness of God to get three days of training in the gospel. And so Vijay asked them if they want to be trained. And so 150 out of the 300 asked to be trained. So now he had 200 to train, and he began to train them all himself. And so he would meet with 50 a week. 
and teach them the things that we were sending him by email to teach. And it became overwhelming, and after about a year of that, he realized that he needed to pick 25 or 30 key guys that he himself would train, and then those would train others. Now, here's the key to it all. Those 150, when they agreed to training, VJ made them sign a memorandum of understanding that they would train 10 others in order to be trained. Five inside their church, five future elders and church planters, and five pastors on the outside that they would train for free in the gospel. Now, Jerry, imagine if you did that here with your elders. You can't be an elder unless you train five other elders. Imagine how you might multiply the church if you had five disciples. And so that's what VJ did. By the time I came on staff in 2012, there were 1,200 in the network. In 2014 or 2014, we found out that in India, it's in the in the constitution that if you have over 500 churches, you can register for a denomination, and they will in large part leave you alone to do ministry. So we applied for that in 2014. We had 1,800 churches. We got approved in 2015, and then now there are 14,000 applications to join the denomination. We, we don't even know what to do with this. It's, it's so many people, it's ridiculous. And so we have, ELI and VJ are working together this next year to retrain 70 trainers in 12 courses that are all finished and translated into two languages for them. And we're going to try to ordain 1,400 men in a year. And if we can get that accomplished and raise the resources to do that, then we're going to do 2,800 in 2020 and then try to do 5,600 the year after that. So you can pray for us. We're, uh, we're uh, running on empty and then there is Serve India Ministry. You can see the next one, the next slide. My friend, Ebby Samuel, Serve India Ministries. In 2006, he left Gospel for Asia with the vision of planting 100,000 churches and 100,000 villages. And his strategy is this, to train 20 indigenous pastors geographically together in pods of 20, and then they would each for they would be trained for five years and they sign a memorandum of understanding that to get the free training monthly they'll commit to doing evangelism in five surrounding villages while they train 10 people to get five churches planted after 10 years they're averaging about three and a half churches per per uh, pastor planted, and they're now working in 40,000 villages, and there's currently 7,000 who are to plant five each in the training, and we train their 85 trainers. Imagine that, a commitment to work in five villages. You could do that. You could make a commitment to, to reach the five streets in your neighborhood that surround your house, and you could do what they're doing, which is to prayer walk and share the gospel. And you can go online, I don't know if you know this, but nosy people like me know this, you can find out the name of all your neighbors on the tax assessor's website. And you can find out what their house is worth and how much taxes they're paying and whether they paid their taxes or not. So you can go on their website, get their names, type up a list of names along with addresses, and you can begin to once a week, once every two weeks, walk your neighborhood and pray for your neighbors. And then 
when they come out to find out what you're doing and you get a divine appointment, you can tell them you're praying for them and you can ask them what they want to be prayed for. Nobody turns down prayer and it opens opportunities for the gospel. Here's the next slide. Philadelphia Fellowship Churches. This is a wide open Pentecostal group. They will never stop being Pentecostals. Our goal is that they'll be reformed Pentecostals and that they'll leave their legalism behind and embrace the gospel of grace and the atonement of the Lord Jesus. And they have have a Bible college that's in English medium, but 3,000 church plants are village plants that, that don't speak English, and they don't have a methodology for training them, and so the Holy Spirit's sending them to us, and we're training in three pods of 40 to train all their men. And then next is the Good News Center. That's in Delhi. That's my friend Daniel Kumar, and they're doing discipleship cells and home churches. And so the first time I met Daniel, he said, here's my strategy. Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. So that's two groups of, that's uh, six groups of two or really two groups of seven. Jesus is training each group. And then they sent him out. Um, the, the, then Jesus sent out the 72. So each of the disciples had six disciples that they were teaching and sending out. And then he said there were the 500 that saw Jesus afterwards. That's seven times the 72. And then he said there were 3,000 converted on the day of Pentecost, and that's seven times the 500. He said this really fast at, at the steakhouse. I was listening to it, and I went, wow, that's, I've never even heard this before. And, and so that's their strategy. Everybody is converted into a discipleship cell of seven, and then they are trained to lead their own seven. And so a couple of years ago, they were going to have a party, a Christmas party for their disciples, and they rented a hall that seats 3,000 and 10,000 people showed up because um, they'd sent out a text, and all these people came. And then there's our friend uh, Victor in Patna with Agape Bihar. This is our smallest ministry. There's 55 leaders he's training and 130 churches. When I walk into the room and see them once or twice a year, it's like people walking out of the pages of National Geographic, but they are getting the gospel. Some of them were illiterate before they got converted, and they've learned to read so that they can read the Bible. And because of your partnership, they're getting the gospel. Now, ELI and, and Covenant are partners in that you support me, but we could also be great partners in helping you divide training methodologies for your other partners. Put up the next slide if you would. And so you can see how your global missions fits the ELI setup exactly. You have you have the, the, the mission team, and then you're working with key partners, the people that stood up this morning. They're training trainers, and then out of that are coming church plants so that you have a church planting movement. But now put, put up the next slide, and you can see how this works at Covenant all together. You have a missions strategy globally, and now you're turning locally inside the states domestically. And what that looks like is that your mission team then trains planters like Ben, and you bring them in as church planting interns, and then you send them out to plant churches, and they go with a church planting intern, and then they in turn train leaders, and the whole thing multiplies 
multiplies. A church planting movement depends upon a church whose DNA is 2 Timothy 2.2. So even inside the local church, you have, this, have to have this multiplying mindset where the staff uh, is training the elders. The elders are ha- helping with the training of small group leaders and small group leader apprentices, and everybody is being trained and discipled. You see, in the kingdom of God, there's no cul-de-sacs. God has designed it so that we're all intersections of grace, no dead-end streets. And so to be a multiplying church, you have to have that multiplication at the heart of the church. Now, why is multiplication so important? Well, it's not because we need more Reformed or Presbyterian churches, but it's because there are billions, six billion people who are trapped in man-centered religions or slaves to secularism who don't know but need to know this God of grace. And you see 100,000 conversions a day, 3 million conversions a month, well, that means you need to plant 30,000 churches a month of 100 people to even deal with the conversions. Addition is not sufficient. We need to multiply. So that's why multiplying grace is a big part of the strategy even back in 2 Timothy. So multiplying grace comes through enduring soldiers who depend on Christ. And that takes us to the third thing I wanted to show you this morning which is gospel endurance. Paul says, Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, church planning, beloved, is hard. It's the most difficult thing that we do. Now, it's possible to do it in the flesh. You can be talented. You can have great strategy. You can have plenty of money. And you can church plant in the flesh. But you see, a church planting movement is impossible to do without a work of God's Spirit. Being strengthened and relying on God's grace through Spirit-filled prayer, lots and lots of prayer. Holy Spirit endurance in the midst of hardship and being single-minded and and Holy Spirit-driven generosity through faith promise. Faith promise is a critical component of the expansion of the gospel. So in this letter, Paul mentions suffering six times, and he explains to us what he means by giving us three illustrations. The first illustration is a soldier. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, Paul is not saying that Christians are forbidden from politics or business. He's also not saying that all Christians are meant to be frontline soldiers. My son Alan was in the army for six years, and he was a Patriot missile technician. He was behind the scenes, not on the front line. And so what I think Paul is saying is that missionaries, evangelists, church planters, pastors, even elders— are all in the front line while other believers are the support troops working together to get the work done. And what this means is that a church planter must be single-minded, mission-focused. 
You see, every person and every organization has limits to the bandwidth, to the ability to get things done. You can only accomplish so much. So soldiers cast aside those distractions and other good things that they might do in order to perform the mission they've been sent on. Soldiers sacrifice. They don't choose where to live or, or what to do or who they answer to. They, they sacrifice income and, and other pursuits for the sake of the mission. So a multiplying church must be mission-focused and single-minded and sacrificially generous. Personally, Sherry and I, we, we sacrificed our careers as, as an engineer and a nurse to, in order to be a church planter and, and to do equipping leaders. Sherry's doing nursing again part-time, but for years we did other things in ministry. And, and we, we've also given sacrificially. So I don't tell you this to boast, but to encourage you, Sherry and I currently give over 20% of our income to church and mission. We're not up here talking to get you to give. We give and we want you to give with us because it's worth it. We do it because of God's grace, because we've been strengthened by God's grace. You see, multiplying grace is worth every sacrifice and every pledge. And beloved, we're not special. If we can do it, well, you can do it. I guarantee it. So then the second thing he gives us is an illustration about athletes. He says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now our daughter, Alicia, we adopted our girls from Jamaica, and they're Jamaica fast. And, and our, uh, our daughter, Alicia, was a sprinter for Kennesaw State University. In her last year at school, she quit a year before the Olympic trials, and she was fast enough to go. So her daddy was really disappointed that she didn't get to go. She went to Kennesaw State, and she owns 10 sprint records there in the 100, 200, and 400. Well, let me tell you what, what she did. I mean, she was loaded with talent, but she worked really hard. She was up every morning at 5.30 while her classmates slept in. She was not up at 5.30. She was in the gym at 5.30 every morning lifting weights. She practiced in the afternoon every day, and on Saturday morning when everybody's sleeping in, she was at the track running 200-meter repeats in order to get fat, fit. And then... She went to bed at 8 o'clock at night so that she would have sufficient rest. See, she was mission-focused. There are certain rules for an athlete. They don't win unless they follow the rules, and beloved, winning is the goal. The church planner doesn't succeed unless he is gospel-centered and a man of prayer. Those are the rules. The rules of the kingdom say so, that strength is found in weakness, a multiplying church must follow these rules as well. Training, Christ-centered, prayer, generosity, those are the rules. And it's all done in the Spirit through grace. And then thirdly, Paul mentions a farmer. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops, he says. Now, my father grew up on a farm. Farming is some of the hardest work there is. I went to college to avoid this. So I could work in the air conditioning. I have lots of letters behind my name. That was always the goal. But there are great rewards for the farmer as well. Not only is the family intact, but one of the great rewards Paul mentions here is you get to eat first. 
And if you like to eat, and obviously I do, then eating first is of vast importance. You get the freshest food, and you get the pick of what's best. In other words, Jesus is telling us, beloved, that suffering for the kingdom, enduring hardship for church planting, being a frontline soldier, being part of the support troops who give generously through faith promise, he's telling us that it's worth it because we gather and taste the fruit of our endurance. And the primary fruit, the first fruit, is Jesus himself. What's offered to us in the gospel is not simply salvation, but Jesus shares himself with us. He shares his glory, his nearness, his fullness. And, and, and also that fruit is the changed lives, millions of people finding grace. Beloved, you're that fruit you're the fruit of the gospel. And so is the ministry then that you have in others. The joy that comes with it, the joy of multiplying grace in individuals and churches. Now, isn't that incredible? It's so good. But it's multiplying grace that comes through enduring soldiers who depend on Christ. Now, here... It's good, but there is some bad news. So I got to talk to you for a minute about the bad news. And the bad news isn't faith promise. That's the good news. The bad news is, is that some of you this morning think that, well, that you're thinking, this is the church. This isn't the army. I didn't sign up for this. I'm not a farmer, and I was never an athlete. This is the church, and what you're talking about is ridiculous. I don't need training. And I don't really need to be in discipleship. I, I just come here because the music's really good and the preaching's solid. And I just want to be in a big group with a big group of people where I feel good about Jesus. Well, the problem is you won't multiply grace if that's the case. If you're not trained, if you're not in discipleship, you won't be a multiplier. You'll just be a dead in the street. And, and some of you who think like that may not even be really relying on Christ. Instead, you're trusting in yourself, and that's not good. That's bad. And, and some of you are thinking, well, it's silly to sacrifice. That's fine for you, Whittle, and other crazy people like you. To make bold financial pledges to plant churches and do missions, we don't need to do that. And you're convinced that satisfaction in life will come from using your money in other ways for other places, for job and, and kids and recreation and, and, and possessions and gathering belongings and living in bigger houses. All I can tell you is what wise King Solomon said. King Solomon said it's vanity to work your whole life and store up goods and then leave your estate to another person who will not spend it wisely. He says that's vanity to live like that. Now, I, I'm thinking that vanity means it's not good, right? That's bad. But there is good news, beloved. It's an incredible good news. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. Jesus died on a cross for our sins, even the sin of not being generous, of not being in discipleship, of, of not being full of grace, even those sins. And, and he rose from the dead to give us new life with a new heart, 
and new values and a new vision and a new reason for living. He gives us the grace to trust him and to love others and to be a generous multiplier. It all comes from him. And so I invite you to trust in him this morning. Maybe some of you for the first time to put your hope in Christ. And some of you, most of you, to renew your trust in Christ. That's what faith promise is really about. It's a renewal of grace in the lives of God's people and in his church. And I invite you to it today. Because multiplying grace comes through enduring soldiers who depend on Christ. Now, let me be really pointed for just a moment. I I haven't been yet, by the way. For just a moment, your missions team is asking you to improve your missions budget by 10%. Well, I'm the out-of-town guy, so I get to be a little bolder. I I want you to pray. Even if you've already pledged, I want you to pray about increasing your pledge by 50% this year. If you're giving $25 a month, make it $37.50. If you're giving $50 a month, make it $75. If you're doing $100, do $150. If you're doing $300, do $450. If you're doing $500, do $750 a month. If you're doing $1,000 a month, Well, we'll let you stand in the back because that's the way the kingdom works. You don't even get to come on the stage. If you're giving 1,000 a month, make it 1,500. Increase in a way that you don't think may be even possible. Ask God to move in your heart to make you boldly generous. Not because he'll love you more, but because of the fruit and the incredible grace of seeing lives changed by the gospel. Beloved, imagine if you would with me, that there is a God in heavenly places who asks his son to sacrifice and set aside his rights to glory, to humble himself as a man and to die on a cross for sinners and to multiply the Father's grace. And then that son rises from the dead and he unites us with his glory, and he shares his glory and his power with his people through the power of the Holy Spirit, with the result being a joy, unspeakable, a joyful purpose in life as a multiplier of grace to people both near and far. Imagine that there is such a God. Well, the good news is that there is a God like that, and he has sent his son in that fashion And he does fill us with joy. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says. He says, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. So fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see that, beloved? Well, that's an inheritance and a legacy that's not vanity. That's an inheritance and a legacy that's worth leaving to your children and to your children's children. And that, my friends, is the glorious grace of the gospel. Let's stand for prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. A word, a word of grace, and uh, 
And we thank you. We thank you, Father, for your son. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your, your atonement for us, your perfect life and your death and resurrection. Father and Holy Spirit, we thank you for taking what's Christ and giving it to us. Father, we pray this morning that you would multiply grace in us, that we would be strengthened by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe somebody's here this morning who hasn't received that grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would open their heart to believe and to see the good news and to follow the Lord Jesus. For all of us, Lord, we pray that you would turn us into multipliers, that we would not be dead in streets, that we would be intersections of grace, and that we would experience and know the joy of being discipled and discipling others and being part of a multiplying church movement. And Father, as you answer that prayer, we will not steal your glory. We'll know it's of grace, and we'll give you the glory for it as you share your joy with us. And we'll do it all for the sake and the glory of Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.